0: Episode two, here we go. Hey, I just wanted to say thank you so much for the support for episode one last week. Uh, we had incredible number of downloads and listeners and comments, and uh, it just was really encouraging to me. And so, um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't know if anyone would, would listen except my mom. Um And so I'm really grateful. I'm grateful for my mom that she would listen. But all you other people, I'm grateful that you would listen as well. And I hope you enjoyed it. Um, And I'm looking forward to continuing to do this. I sell golf cars. And uh, you may have noticed that I said golf cars, not golf carts with a T. Because technically there is no T. And uh, most people say golf carts, but that's because they're noobs. And now that you've heard this, you are no longer a noob. You now know that it is golf car. So anytime someone says golf cart, please correct them. They will love it and they will thank you for it. You will not sound like a pretentious jerk at all. So please do that. But anyway, I sell golf cars, and I enjoy it. And, uh, about half of my income is from salary and about half is from commission. And, uh, for those of us in the world of sales and commissions, you know, we have to budget our annual income, uh, carefully because we don't know exactly what that commission amount will be each month. And, um, this, uh, last few months have been a little tough and especially January, January, 2023 was really tough. We had um, very few sales and uh, it's been declining. I can't complain because the last two years have been amazing in our industry. Um, But it does kind of suck when you don't get very much um, commission. And January was one of those months. Um, It was really slow. Of course, it's it's cold. Uh, It's typically during the winter months, we're not going to have as many sales. Plus the fact that golf cars are... Outrageously priced right now, Uh, and people are a little, you know, anxious about the economy and don't want to spend money on things like golf cars. So, my January commission is going to be pretty small. We had some unexpected expenses this month, some car stuff and other things, and uh, we're also trying to save for an anniversary trip. So, you know where I'm headed with this. I mean, these things all come together. And create something called stress. And I don't know about you, but I don't always handle stress very well. And um, as I was thinking about stress and this episode, and you know, I was thinking about how I need to have a better strategy for dealing with stress instead of just being reactive and and hoping that I'll be okay. You know, maybe there's a better way to handle stress. And so that's what today's episode is about, handling stress. Mm -hmm. Stress is a part of our lives, um, whether it's Challenges of work life balance, managing family priorities, financial stress, which is what I'm feeling today. Um, Our generation, we're at that stage in life where we can face a lot of stress. Um, Could be loneliness, isolation, could be that we're sandwiched in between those responsibilities of caring for our own kids as well as caring for aging parents. And so, what we're going to talk about on the podcast today is. Is there anything we can do about this stress? Or are we stuck until we retire or die? So, today we're going to talk with a longtime friend of mine and brilliant psychologist, Dr. Benjamin F. Miller. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Ben, and then I'm going to have him tell, uh, tell you guys about how he and I know each other. But basically, Ben uh, has been involved in healthcare his entire adult life. Um, But in a little bit of a unique way, he's not a traditional, you know, counselor sitting in an office helping people, although he has done some of that. But uh, his work is a little bit broader than that. In fact, it's a lot broader than that. Um, From his website, which is benmillerpsyd.com, his website, this is what he says, mental health is foundational to our overall health. This principle, which has guided my life's work for years, has been proven true again and again. Sadly, we have never fully embraced this notion in the United States and have often minimized it to our detriment. In practice in policy and everywhere in between, we have learned and perpetuated a fragmented view of health and health care, one where mental health and well-being is treated not only as separate but unequal. I want to change that. And so Ben has been an advocate for mental health awareness and education, and he's even started a new venture that he may tell us about um, that dives into that problem, tries to find some answers. So Ben, I'm really grateful that you're here. Thank you for joining me, man.
1: Oh, it's an absolute honor, Everett. It's so good to see you and to hear your voice and to be with you today. So thanks for talking about such an important
0: topic, too. Yeah, for sure. Well... Tell the uh, the listeners how you and I know each other.
1: Well, I like to think that we grew up together.
0: Okay,
1: you know, we were both we met when we were both kids. I yeah. mean, you're a little bit older than I am, but we were pretty much both kids. Yeah. We had more hair than we do now. True. And I think the only difference when we first met was that you had a job and I didn't. <laughs> That's because true. while you had the job title of youth minister uh-huh. um, at our local church, to me, you were so much more than that. Mm-hmm. I mean you were the guy who taught me how to truly love basketball. Okay. Even going so far as to order random trainings from the mail that taught us how to jump higher so that <laughs> yes. you could finally dunk. You know, <laughs> you're the guy that out? taught
0: me It didn't work out. Okay. <laughs> I mean
1: but- <laughs> not for me at least. Well, you, I you mean,
0: you're you're maybe a little bit more vertically challenged than I am. Just slightly, yeah. slightly. And now
1: with the torn ACL, I'm I'm out, out out, out all together, yeah. but um, I mean but you you were the guy you taught me how to find the joy in little things in life, from honking car horns and waving at random people or <laughs> to engaging with any and every stranger by randomly calling out a name and seeing who looked our way i mean you 're the guy that taught me how to show up you know how to be your best self even when In those moments, you didn't feel so stellar. I can think of so many times when that happened. And oh, by the way, you also married me and my wife 22 years ago. That's right. And I could go on. So, yeah, while we've (laughs) known each other for less than, you know, just a little less than 30 years, I mean, it's a pretty significant history. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of memories of you and, you know, you playing basketball, us playing basketball at the church's gym. Uh, your family was always so gracious to let me come hang out with you at your house. And uh, we'd have people over and uh, play video games and play in y'all's pool. And we've had a great time. So those are great memories, man. And then, and then you came that one summer and interned with me and um, my kids still talk about it because my, my oldest daughter, who's now 28 at the time was probably like, gosh, I don't know, like, four or five maybe I don't yeah. know yeah yeah and she would um she would be getting a little you know sassy or something and you would just look at her and say <laughs> Lauren attitude <laughs> <laughs> this little funny voice and she still talks about that we, we'll do it to her still sometimes you know so That's thank great. you for that I love it. yeah absolutely <laughs> so we're talking about stress today and um when when I was thinking about who I wanted to Talk to him. you were the first one that, that came to my mind, mainly because you know I know you've had a lot of experience, not just with helping people with stress, but you know thinking about mental health uh, in a lot of different ways. And um, you know I've seen you on CNN and some other places like that. You've been uh, working as an executive for a large company um, in this sphere, and so I just knew that you'd have a lot of of information and, and experience that might be able to help us so I'm really glad you're joining us but before we really delve into it too deeply I think we probably need to define what stress is so do you have a, a definition or thoughts about that
1: yeah I have a lot of thoughts about this and so for for your listeners here I I am a guy who has always fought to convince people that our mind and our bodies are connected hmm. they're not separate they're connected. And so at its core, stress to me really reflects how our mind and bodies interact with one another, how we process and cope with change. I mean, we we use the word at its most basic level to describe our emotional state when we feel overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. yet when we're met with a threat, a challenge, some type of physical or psychological barrier, our entire body reacts from our brains to our muscles, to our joints, to our heart, to our stomach, everything. Mm. And it can be helpful at times, right? I mean, let's just, let's give everybody an example here. Okay. If you're alerted to a danger, like there's a lion that appears behind you while we're recording this, okay, you need to act really quickly to take care of yourselves. So your body moves into what we call fight or flight. Okay. It's got to respond to that stressor in your environment. And so there's parts of our brain that immediately open up. There's parts of our body that shuts down in preparation to have to, to run, to flee or to fight. And, and I won't bore everybody with all the, you know, physiological things that occur here. But I'll tell you, if you're stressed, you don't want to sleep. You don't want to eat. You don't want to have sex. You don't want to do a lot of things because your body is preparing to have to deal with something that's coming. It's your way. Mm-hmm. Now, stress in our current age back, you know, 250 or well, more than that, thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. when we were actually running from lions or whatever we were doing, that, that preserved us. It kept us alive. The problem is now, my friend, is that we don't have lions chasing us. <laughs> you know, we've got things that you started the show with. We've got financial stressors. Mm-hmm. We've got the worry and concern of our kids or loved ones. We've got this constant barrage of judgment coming from all around us from social media. You know, are you good enough? Are you pretty enough? Mm-hmm. And that stuff weighs on you. So mm-hmm. it's not a lion that we're running from and we're actually exerting energy and getting it out of our bodies. We're not running. We're sitting in these chairs and we're just letting it impact us negatively. So stress is a pervasive issue in all of our culture. And frankly, and I think we'll get into this, I don't think we do a really good job talking about it or managing it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of at its core principles. It's really about change Mm -hmm. and how we, our bodies, our minds and our our bodies respond to that Mm -hmm. change. Um, Every year, my professional society, the American Psychological Association, puts out this Stress in America survey. Your listeners can go and Google this to their heart's content. They do it every year. And this past year, 2022, was really interesting because a little over a quarter of the people surveyed said that they are so, so stressed they cannot function. Wow. And when you ask them what they're so stressed about, the number one issue, 83% of them, was rising inflation. Hmm. They were worried about the economy. Yeah. And And this has got deep roots because when you begin to look at Um, capitalism and um, economics it's got a very strong connection to our overall health and well-being yeah so it's not a surprise to me that people are overly stressed because of how well their money's doing in the bank or how much money they have coming in versus not and that's a big part of why I think that we just have missed the boat in talking about stress yeah because we've said we've, we've used extreme situations well um, you got laid off or you're getting a divorce or someone's got a terminal illness we've used those extreme examples which are horrifying and traumatizing for many people We don't talk about man this is a really tough month for sales yeah you know yeah. what can I do to manage that stress yeah. or we don't talk about you know my daughter's about to turn 15 on Saturday and she's going to start driving mm-hmm. you know how do I manage the uncertainty of what it's like when I have a teenager who's behind a wheel mm-hmm. that's like normal stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like we could actually be better as a society and probably more balanced if we actually helped each other mm. figure out how to solve those problems instead of immediately going to these extremes, mm-hmm. which most people do when they talk about stress. That's
0: true. Yeah, it's like if you you're complaining about something small. Come on, man, this is not a big deal. Of course, your your daughter's going to start driving. Everybody starts driving. My kids did that. It's fine, you know. And uh, and then we just minimize it um but all those things build up and, and cause a lot of issues back in 2008 i'm going to say was probably the most stressful year of my life 2008 was um i was leading a nonprofit organization uh the economy tanked the donations dried up you know we had to let people go we had to go down uh, some programs that were, you know, otherwise in great shape. But just because of finances, we had to shut them down. Um, you know, that was very stressful. I had to not receive my full pay during that year. Um, you know, I was closing in on 40. I was, I turned 38 that year, and, and 40 was always a big number to me. Our marriage struggled during that year because of all these stressors and other stuff, my daughter turned 16 that year. I think she was turning 16 and she wanted to go to spring break with her friends down at the beach. And we were having this big, you know, should we let her do this? And, you know, who's she going to be with? You know, so that was stressful. Anyway, it was just a really tough time. And, And so I decided I need to go speak to a therapist. I did. I went and talked to him and, and he could see that the stress was having a significant, uh, um, impact on me. And, um, and so one of the, one of our first, you know, early meetings, he asked me if I had suicidal thoughts. And, um, I remember th- telling him, no, I haven't, I don't have any suicidal thoughts, but if something were to happen to me, like a, a bus speeding at me on a, on a road, I might not jump out of the way. You know, it was that feeling of being just, that would be relief if something happened to me, you know, I know a lot of people can identify with that. So it just made me think then and continue to think, like you said earlier, there's got to be a way for us without us having to try to figure out how we can get to see a professional therapist and, you know, how can we get through this stuff? How can we help each other?
1: Well, first of all, I wouldn't just comment on 2008 because that year changed a lot of lives across the world. Yeah. I mean, mainly in the US just because of, you know, what happened here in the states and this massive recession. That bankrupted a lot of people, and it was just—it was a long time coming for because of bad behaviors. But we won't get into that. <laughs> you know, when I, I'm a—I'm a so I'm a scientist. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an academician. I pay a lot of attention to data, and what you saw after 2008 was a, a sharp, just this market increase in deaths to
0: despair—people
1: mm-hmm. who died by drugs, mm-hmm. alcohol, or suicide. Mm-hmm. And it was directly connected to the economic decline. And, and, there's a, and it was a lot of um, white middle America mm-hmm. that increased in deaths. And, and I can show the papers and tell you all the studies, but I, I won't do that to your listener. The, the reason that I think it's telling is that we learned a lot about what drives despair. And you mentioned this in the top, but when you lose your job or you lose your resources, you lose a little bit of your sense of self. You know for mo- many of us our employer is gives us a, a profound sense of being of belonging, mm-hmm. of connectedness of community. And when those things are gone, it just is really hard to, to understand to rectify like well what do I do now and who am I? And so I think a lot of those things it, it it pummeled this nation and we're still trying to recover from 2008 over I wow. mean. The, the data trends around drug overdose and suicide has been on a perpetual increase and mm-hmm. in trajectory since then. Really? Now it's been up for roughly 20 years, but 2008 was the sharpest increase that we've seen in some time. Yeah. And so um, I, it's, a, it's a very long-winded contextualized way to answer your question, like what do we do about it? Well, I think what we learned during those times is that you cannot solve issues of health you know, looking one specific problem at a time. You have to think more holistically. Mm. You know, the foundation that I ran for a number of years, we always talked about our mission was to advance the mental, social, and spiritual health of the nation. Because just looking at care delivery and saying that's gonna solve all our problems doesn't really get where most people need it to get. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to get a therapist if you can find one, but most people, they need something a little bit more. They need a, a shelter over their heads. Mm-hmm. They need good food on the table. They need safety and security. They need things like that. Yeah. And so I would say to you and to anybody else who's really, you know, who had experienced anything like that and maybe still is experiencing things that, you know, in the clinical world, when we talk about stress, we put it into two buckets. These are so super, super simple. It's like something that, you know, I would do for my kids and probably have done for my kids. Uh, one is, is the stressor controllable? Is there something that you can do about it? Mm. If the answer to that question is yes, then you need to do something about it. If your leg itches, you scratch it. Okay. If it's too hot in the house, you cool it down. Okay. Those are stressors that are controllable. The problem is most things in life are out of our control. And so we put that in the second bucket of uncontrollable stressors. And in those scenarios, we can do nothing to change it. Yeah. Okay. Which means that we have to work on ourselves. We have to come up with mechanisms. We call it coping mechanisms, but ways to cope with the stress. A lot of that is putting it in perspective. It's talking it out with your friends, your colleagues. It's taking things like deep breaths and sleeping more and eating better and exercising. All of that stuff goes into our overall ability to manage stress. So those are very basic things that Mm -hmm. we could do. I mean, we could get more into the clinical side and all the other things you could do. But I got to tell you, man, 2008, no one could control what happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. And the country was so ill equipped to cope with what was happening that a lot of people were in the similar boats that you were my mm-hmm. friend
0: all right cool I, I want us to uh come back to that but i want us to take a little fun break ben if that's all right so
1: yeah that was that was super serious so we gotta we gotta laugh now. <laughs> yeah we
0: gotta take a little you are a uh, basically a, a child of the 90s you grew up mostly in the 90s i grew up mostly yeah. in the 80s um, yeah. So, I'm going to ask you some eight, some 90s would-you-rather questions, and you just tell me, okay. okay? All right, I'm ready. So, would you rather watch Saved by the Bell or Full House?
1: Saved by the Bell, and the principal was from Chattanooga.
0: Yes, he was. Yeah, Ben is, is from Chattanooga, and that's where we knew each other from. Uh, I'm, I'm all about Saved by the Bell as well. Full House wasn't a bad show, but Saved by the Bell was, was just better. Yeah, 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 I <laughs> agree. All right. Would you rather have a Game Boy or a Sega Genesis?
1: I, I go with Game Boy for the communal aspects of it. Okay. Because it was all of Tetris all the time, and yeah. you and I had some heated oh, head-to-heads yeah. in Tetris. And I would say Game Boy because you could take it wherever you wanted to go. Yeah,
0: that was great. I'm with you on that, too. We're two for two so far. All right. I think I know which one you'll say here, but <laughs> would you rather watch The Lion King or Titanic?
1: <laughs> I mean, my immediate response is not really either one of them, <laughs> but my, my wife is big into Titanic and I think we watched it several times oh, with, you know, when okay. we were dating. So I'm going to go with Titanic yes. and, and now I have kids and I feel like I've watched the Lion King a thousand times. So I'm going to yeah. go with Titanic. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, you know who, uh, directed Titanic? Uh, wasn't it James Cameron? Yeah. James Cameron yeah. who, um, you know, right now is the second Avatar's Avatar movie is out. Have you seen it? I want to go see it. I have not. Okay, I,
1: my kids are my kids are at an age where I don't get to do anything.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's why we're talking so late at night. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Would you rather listen to boy bands or grunge music,
1: dude? I'm I'm a total emo guy, so I I'm grunge all the way. I'm wearing a hoodie right now, and I'm
0: 45 years old. <laughs> that's true. So. Um, those of you who uh, don't know Ben, he was in a band in high school. Actually, he was in a band in college, too. And have a lot of bands Yeah, there's been a lot of bands. But the um, he and his buddies started a band, and it was called The Happier Lives. We
1: had very little talent, but, you know, it worked.
0: It, <laughs> it worked. was great, man. Y'all were so loved. People wanted <laughs> The Happier Lives to play at all of our events. Yeah. That was good our time.
1: three songs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, last one. Would you rather watch Friends or Seinfeld?
1: So at the time when these things were coming out, it depends on who I was with. Okay. Um, But now, I mean, if I were just by myself, I'm a
0: Seinfeld guy all the way. Okay, there you go. I I like to hear that. Um, But it is, what's interesting to me is, at the time, I I loved Seinfeld. I I watched every episode and just ate it up. But now when I watch them back, it's not as funny. Yeah, and. I don't know if it's because like the office came out and like just brought a, a totally different level of humor, you know, to mm-hmm. television. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I still love uh, Seinfeld. I still love Jerry in case he's listening, but. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Jerry, come visit. We don't see you enough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Back to the show. Yeah. Back to what we were talking about. So um, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper into some solutions and, and some, you know, make it a little more practical as well. Um, Since a lot of Gen Xers are probably identifying with all the stuff we've been talking about with stress, um, you know, I would like for us to think about how we can help them. And I really like what you just said about the two buckets, because I think a lot of times it's easy to just put stress all in one bucket and it's the, I can't do anything about it bucket. Um, But identifying some of the stress and uh, as something that we can actually control or have some sort of, uh, input in how it's affecting us. I think that's really big. Um, t- talk to me a little bit more about, about that.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, we are relational creatures mm-hmm. and there's no more healing attribute associated with positive health outcomes than being connected to someone else and being heard. Mm. And, and, and I, you know, I can, I can talk about, you know, how people can deep breathe and I could talk about how you can shift your thinking and be more positive. I could do all that stuff. But really, I mean, what I would encourage people to do is just to find someone in their life that they can trust and just talk out what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, especially men, we, we were very hesitant to do this. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's entire cultures where we just feel like, you know, well, why would I? share with you what's really going on in my life why would i admit to you that i have these feelings you know it doesn't make me less a man and that's just all bunk you Mm -hmm. know it's 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 silliness so i i think the first thing we can do is we can find somebody in our life and we can just sit down with them and we can share with them what's going on Mm -hmm. in therapy and the research supports this you know sometimes it doesn't even need to be said it can just be those times where you share with other people when you're struggling. They're there for you, mm-hmm. just showing up. Mm-hmm. Other things you can do if you don't, if you're living in the middle of nowhere or you don't have connections that you feel like you can reach out to that can be trusted. Write it down. You yeah. know, there's a tremendous amount of evidence that shows how just getting it out, putting it on paper, makes you feel better and can be healing it unto itself. Hmm. Why do you think there's so many amazing like? Rock ballads about breakups, because you know people went through something and they wrote it down. yeah, okay, So I mean, getting it out is probably the number one thing that I could recommend mm-hmm. to folks. now if if that doesn't work, which for most people it will, because it's a super helpful um, way to process these things, then and you need to get additional supports. There are clinicians out there that can help, mm-hmm. okay? And it doesn't have to be the psychologist down the road. It might be your local you know pastor. it could be, your local priest, it could be your local imam, it could be mm-hmm. your local rabbi, it could be anybody in the community that you trust that's probably got some training mm-hmm. on how to help you through what you're going through. Find those people. Mm. But whatever you do, just don't sit on it and think it's just gonna get better. Yeah. Because there'll be another stressor that comes along. There'll be something else in your life that pulls the rug out from underneath you. Mm-hmm. And if you've not developed the skills to manage it, it's gonna hurt worse. Mm. And so these things compound and you don't want to be the person that ends up where, you know, the problem's gotten too big and you just don't see your way out of it. Or you turn to other more nefarious things to manage it, alcohol, drugs, whatever else. There's all kinds of healthy ways to do it. So start there first and just let it begin with the conversation. Maybe even at your dinner table with your friends and your family.
0: Yeah. For me, Ben, one of the things that I've struggled with in my life is being vulnerable you know to 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 find that person that i feel like i could say hey spe- you know especially being a guy you know how do i find that person and say man i'm struggling with some stuff i want to talk to you you know because that even saying that phrase right there to someone yeah. can be intimidating
1: yeah it's a good question ever and i think a lot of people i think they do struggle with us it's part of why you know before we started the show i was telling you a little bit about some of the things i'm passionate about now and you know there are people that we'll encounter in our lives that we probably are more comfortable opening up to than folks that we've known for 30 years and and it's because there's no fear of judgment they know you they know you well enough and but they're not the person that's like you go home and have dinner with every night and so i'll give you an example i um, I love the I love examples of what happens in barbershops. Now you and I don't have anything to get cut <laughs> it's been anymore. A long time. Maybe get your beard trimmed, <laughs> yeah. you know. But I still have a relationship with the guy that used to cut my hair. Hmm. His name's Scott, and for years in Denver, I, I you know he started his own shop. I gave him furniture from my grandparents' house, and I used <laughs> to go to see him every two weeks. Okay, and Scott was he became a friend, but he was somebody that if I was having a really bad day. I could just open up and say, "Man, today sucked," yeah. in a non-judgmental, very friendly. I don't have to worry about talking to Scott tomorrow about this way. Mm-hmm. He would just say, "You know what? That sounds like a pretty tough day for you. Mm-hmm. You know what? Can I do to support you?" Mm-hmm. And that was it. That's all I needed. Yeah. And so sometimes it may not be the, the players that you know. It might be people that you least expect could mm-hmm. be able to help. So, I, I mean, I don't have a really good answer for this no, ever because I do think it's it's a little bit different for everybody. But I would say start with folks that, you know, have you have some type of relationship with. And, you know, you might be surprised at how supportive they are, you know, with what you might come out and say.
0: Yeah, that, that's really good. I, I remember um, when I was in college and I was having a tough, just kind of going through a tough thing. And there was a, a guy who was on staff at the college. I did I, I knew him a little bit. Um, but didn't see him all the time. And I was walking down the hall one day in between classes or going to class or something, and he just stopped me and he said, ever I've noticed the last couple of days I've seen you walking around campus and you haven't been the same. Is something yeah. going on? Yeah and you know yeah. and I, it and it was. I mean there, my mom was having some health issues mm-hmm. and you know, there were some other things going on, and he just picked up on that and identified that. and even though we weren't close, him just saying that, like, I almost wanted to cry, you know, just because it was so meaningful. Um, And I had forgotten about that until you were saying that story, so that's cool.
1: I I gotta say, man, I love that example because this is one of the things that we teach people, how to have these non-judgmental observations. You know, you may see the same people every day on your bus route to work. You may see the same people at the coffee shop. And being able to, in a very non-judgmental way, just say, you know, hey, you know, I noticed that you're without this today or her. Hey, you know, it seems like you're dragging just a bit, you mm-hmm. know, all good. Mm-hmm. Small things like that, that where you notice a small change in someone else, mm. that might be life changing for someone because yeah. you don't know what they experienced that morning on their way in. Yeah. You yeah. don't know what's going on in their life everyone has problems Mm. and the sooner that we're able to recognize that and just show up for each other differently by making those small little observational you Mm. know comments yeah you just don't know how that could change someone else's life
0: yeah that's great that's good stuff I I mean one of the things that uh, I'm thinking right now is how I came into this uh, conversation with you thinking about how am I going to get some help for the stress I'm going through? But now as I'm listening to you talk, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe the better question is how can I maybe help somebody else who's going through stress, you know? And by doing that,
1: there's actually a ton of evidence that it does help you. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, we can put it under the banner of altruism and all that, but truthfully, there's a science to service. Mm. And the more that we can do for others, the more positive the benefits are for ourselves, including our overall health and well-being. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't mean don't be selfish at times and take time for yourself. I Mm -hmm. I say this all the time to people. You know, you may be trying to deal with a crisis in your family, but if you don't take time to manage your own stress and figure out ways that you can best address what's going on in you, you ain't going to be any good to them. Yeah. Yeah. As a friend, as a father, as a husband, as a whatever, yeah. you're not going to be any good. You got to manage your own stuff, and yeah. that sometimes requires that we take a minute and step back. I'll give you one small story here. Um, so in August, I my my job transition, and I unfortunately had to let my entire staff go, um, and I was given very short notice of this, and it was um, you know it was it was challenging, and I had to deal with that. I had to figure out a way to to manage that. And the one thing that I realized is that I was having all these people in my life that I was trying to figure out a way to take care of them. But I wasn't taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. So I got back in the gym, in the garage. I started painting again, which I haven't done in years. I love to paint. I played my guitar more often and I processed it out. And I got it clean. I got it good. I got myself in a healthy place. It took me a while, but I did then I could show up better for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Then I could deal with the uncertainty in my own family. Mm -hmm. Then I could deal with the uncertainty in my loved ones that were outside. I mean, I just, I I can't say enough about that. Not everybody has the luxury to be able to take some time and just go paint your garage. But the more you can take that self-care component, it actually is truly a foundational element that makes us better, not just to ourselves, but to other people around us.
0: Well, this has been great, this conversation that I've had with Ben, and I actually continue to talk to him a little bit more about his vision for healthcare in America and actually around the world. And if you want to hear more of that, you can just stay tuned and uh, you'll hear the rest of our conversation. Uh, but uh, I wanted to jump in here and just say thank you so much for listening to the second episode of my podcast, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. And I hope you are, too. And if you are, I hope that you'll subscribe and you can get every episode that comes out. I hope that you'll share it. And uh, also, if if you don't mind, go over and, and rate it wherever you listen to podcasts, um, especially Apple Podcasts. That's really helpful. Um, thanks again for listening. If you want to hear the rest of the interview, here it is. Tell, us, tell me a little bit more about Kind of what you're doing now, as it relates, you know, kind of weave it in with what we're talking about. Um, but, you know, how, how is what you're doing now going to help people?
1: Yeah, so I,
0: I do a lot of really fun things now, and
1: I, I'm still, you know, on this what journey I call it a sabbatical. But, you know, I, I chair a national advisory board for a really amazing policy advocacy group called Inseparable. You know, I take small contracts here and there to help folks, you know, just think differently about mental health and policy. But where where I really want to go and where I'm most excited about is how to equip our communities with those skills that we can use to help each other. It's kind of like what we've been talking about. Yeah. You know, um, when you look outside of the U.S., there are entire countries in Africa that have like one psychiatrist for the whole country. So the answers to so many of our problems are not more clinicians. It's not bringing more clinicians into the fold. It's really thinking about how to empower communities with skills to do more. And I think that that to me is there's something magical there. Like truly, there's something um, I was writing about this today. There's something very disruptive because it's it's an unbelievably and undeniably simple approach to address mental health by giving everybody else new skills to help everyone around them. But yet it hasn't been done. Yeah. So my, my journey and where I'm going and where I want to go in, in for my future, for the rest of my career, is I want to figure out how to do this. You know I'm going to skin my knees a few times. I'm going to you know, probably uh, take a few bumps and bruises along the way. But man, I, just, I can't think of, some, nothing, of, of something more rewarding mm-hmm. than really giving people uh, an opportunity to be successful with those around them.
0: Hmm can you give me an example of of something that might be uh, in the future or something that you're thinking about
1: yeah let me t- let me tell you a story about some work that's been done over in south africa so there was a psychiatrist who unfortunately lost a patient to suicide and he realized that part of the reason that his patients were you know he was losing them to things like suicide and they weren't able to get better is because there weren't enough clinicians in in town so he said well who do we have the most of who's the most respected people in these villages that I'm working. And it was the matriarchs, it was the moms Mm -hmm. and the grandmas. And what he did was he got them together and he gave them a training. And they put these benches in the center of the village and they called them the friendship benches. And he would put well-trained grandmothers to sit on these benches so that anybody in the village could come up and talk to them and be given um, an intervention or what i describe, which is very scientific, but like an evidence-based skill. And that changed the rates of depression, anxiety, suicide. And they published this in the Journal of the American Medical Association. I mean, the top tier wow. journal across the world. I mean, it's just like the places that this went was, was stunning to me. Like, that's all I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, let's put more benches with people that know how to talk to people mm. out there. You mm. know, and it's been done. It's being done. I mean, as I mentioned, barber shops are where it's happening. Benches sure. are being put in parks. But I feel like there's no reason why every town in America can't have folks that are well trained to sit on those benches or to show up in your, you know, your faith community or at your school or at your gym. I mean, there's a million places, a million opportunities for that.
0: Well, and what's so encouraging and exciting to me about that is, you know, when I was going through a tough time, it took months for me to even figure out. Who I could go see. And, you know, I had to, you know, first you have to be brave enough to ask somebody, hey, do you know a therapist I can go see? Which for a lot of people is a very tough question yeah, to ask, scary. you know? And, yeah. you know, so I had to get a recommendation and, you know, then I had to see if my insurance covered it. And, you know, I, I'm trying, and this yeah. is for someone who is, you know, in the middle class. And I'm thinking, what do you do if you have no money, no resources, no insurance you know who do you turn to you know i'm glad
1: you shared that story because it's um it's good to hear people that have had successes because as you said it's daunting when you start the journey Mm -hmm. you know the the data that we usually share is that more than half the folks that have some type of identifiable mental health need don't get help Mm -hmm. and then if you have a substance misuse need alcohol drugs something Mm -hmm. of that nature only about 10 percent of people get help Mm -hmm. And so it's a system that is so disjointed and frustrating that most people give up before they can actually have the experience that you had. Yeah. And that's what I'm I mean, I've been working at this for a long time now. It's what I've been trying to change my entire career because yeah. I just don't think it's fair. Yeah, You know, you can't be suffering or going through some of the worst days of your life. And then someone says, oh, by the way, Everett, you need to go and flip through this book of 100 people most of whom aren't going to take new patients you know 75% of them aren't going to take your insurance yeah. it's just not it's not a healing journey yeah and i just I, I hate that for people that they're going to have to experience this and so for your listeners if you do need help i mean seek it do the best you can to find it but yeah. um unfortunately for many people it's it's um it's a it's a treacherous road to find the right person <laughs> well, listen i've had i've had executives of major healthcare companies i've had you know, members of our legislature and even in Congress reach out and say, I need help with my loved one.
0: Mm. I mean, these are some of the
1: most well-connected people that you've got in the U.S., and they don't know how to find help.
0: Well, is there anything else you wanted to say, or do you feel like we've covered everything?
1: We've covered a lot. I could
0: talk for hours, my friend. So, <laughs> thank you for addressing this, and thanks for again for having me on. Well, it's been such a joy, man, just to, to hang out with you and yeah. to uh, to see that I didn't harm you too much. Well, thanks, Everett, and thanks for uh, for
1: being you and for helping wonderful people like me figure out how to grow up in life. It uh, it did make a difference, and I know you know that, but well, it made a difference. So, yeah. appreciate
0: you. All right, buddy. We'll give my love to your family. I will. I will. Talk to you later. See you, man.